Great. Good morning. So we're on, we're on uh, continuing on our sermon series called We Believe, and uh, I hope that uh, this is our third Sunday, so I hope that um, just as we look at these important things, it gives us a solidity, a security uh, in our faith. And so we said, I've got two big dates for you, 500 years and 150 years. So we said 500 years ago, uh, the reformers protested against the institutional church. We'd had the dark ages in, in Europe for about a thousand years. Bible was taken away from the believers and the church was um, uh, insisting that Christians go through all sorts of uh, efforts to be right with God. And these men and women rose up and they said, no, there is, um, there is truth that uh, we can relate to Jesus directly. And the reformers, we can take their message and we can break it down to five uh, different areas. Dwayne, thanks. You can give us that next one. And they said, first of all, they said, we believe that we are saved by grace alone, by faith in the scriptures, in Christ, and for glory, for God's glory alone. Uh, thanks, Dwayne. So they asserted against the institutional church that, first of all, they said, Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone is the authority for all matters of life and uh, faith and doctrine. They said that the Bible derives its authority from God and not the church. In fact, the church derives its authority from the Scriptures. And so they said the only way that we can uh, have relationship with Jesus is directly through the Scriptures, as we've spoken over the last two weeks. The second thing they said was sola fide, which means faith alone. And they said salvation is through faith only and apart from any good works. There is no, um, there is no uh, effort that needs to be exerted to be saved. The third thing they said is sola, fide, uh, sola gratia, which is... Salvation is by, by the grace of God alone. It's free gift of God. Once again, you'll notice uh, if it's important for us to be aware of the context, like I said last year, uh, last week, but the historical context helps us understand what they were addressing. And I want to remind us this morning that it's not just 500 years ago because the very same things are in our society and in our hearts, the heart of a human being today. And they said salvation is a free gift by the grace of God. The fourth thing they said is uh, sola Christus. They said salvation is only found in Jesus and only because of what he did by paying our atoning sacrifice on the cross. And then the fifth one, which for me is, I'm so glad they included this because it's such an important uh, understanding to live our lives by, is they said soli Deo Gloria, only God gets the glory. So salvation is accomplished by God. It means I'm free from my sins, but it's done by Him alone, and it's alone for His glory. So as much as I receive huge benefits, the reason God works in my life is to point people, to allow people to see His glory. I love Tabucho's testimony, didn't you? Man, you know how many people thank Dickens and, you know, oh, it must be a coincidence. And, you know, didn't, wasn't it lucky that everything just worked out in my favor or my personal favorite, and it happens very close to home. <laughs> my personal favorite is, oh, you've just got to put positive energy out into the universe and it'll come back to you. It's wonderful. I still haven't quite figured out what energy and where I plug it. You know, like where do you plug into the universe? 
Um, but the point is that even when God blesses our lives and even when he rescues us, it's to point our attention to him. Only God gets the glory. So on July 2nd, 1505, will you come back with me in a time machine? Long time ago, uh, while returning to university on horseback after being home with his family, this young man called Martin Luther uh, was uh, overtaken by a thunderstorm, by an electrical storm, and a bolt of lightning struck right near to him and terrified. Anyone scared of, of lightning and thunder? Terrified for his life. He's a, uh, he'd grown up Catholic and uh, terrified for his life. He shouted out, help, Saint Anna, save me. None of us ever said something like that, right? Never once? Okay, good. I prayed a few prayers like that in my time. Before I met Jesus, I was like, oh, well, I'd, anything. I'll just, whatever it, like, let me just cover all the bases, you know. Um, he says, help Saint Anna. If you save me, I will become a monk. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Oh God, if you just, then I will you prayed a prayer like that? Prayed a prayer like that as a believer? I have. Oh God, I promise. <laughs> it's like on your, on your money, you know. I promise to pay the bearer. Like, God, if you just let me out of my fix, I will make it up to you. I will make it worth your while. You know, I, and, and it's often, that, you know, they don't correlate. Lord, if you just, I don't know, whatever it is. If you just give me this job, if you just help me with this thing, then I will, I don't know, feed the orphans and, or wash the penguins or do something. You know, look after the rhinos because God loves animals, doesn't he? And so we bargain our way with God. We kind of think, well, what can I do that's good enough to attract his attention to my life? Yeah? And so this poor young man, Martin Luther, he came to view his cry for help as a vow that he could never break. He left university. He was at law school. And he sold his books and he became a monk. His father was furious over what he saw as such a waste of Martin Luther's law degree. So Luther dedicated himself to becoming a monk, devoting himself to fasting, to long hours in prayer, pilgrimage, and frequent concession, up to six hours a day, the historians tell us. How about that for uh, you know, a hobby, just to say thanks to St. Anna? Um, obviously, he was, a, he was an honorable man, so he felt he'd made a promise. Now he thought, oh, geez, if only I hadn't said that. You know, could I have maybe offered something just a little bit less important? Um, and so Luther describes this period of his life as one of deep spiritual despair. His response to his life being saved was an attempt to earn his salvation by good works as a monk, trying to pay back his vow to the saint for saving his life and work his way into right standing with God. He said, I lost touch with Christ, the Savior and the Comforter, and made him the jailer and the hangman of my poor soul. The young monk Luther was tormented by his inability to feel that he was accepted by God. If you go back into the history books, I mean, we could spend the whole sermon time this morning just doing a biography on this poor guy. He slept without blankets. He slept in the snow. He fasted. He did all these practical things to punish himself, to somehow attract God's attention. It reminds me, there's this there's a story in the Old Testament where, where uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal are trying to see who, which God is real. 
And so they make a sacrifice, they make an altar and they put a sacrifice on there. And then they say, well, whichever God puts fire from heaven onto the sacrifice, that's the real God. And then the, the, the prophets of Baal, we know they were wasting their time, but they end up, they, they do the equivalent to attract their pagan God's attention. Isn't it interesting? We all look at those pagan priests and we think, yeah, you know, they, they didn't have a clue. Poor them. But Luther, as a supposed God believer, was trying to do the same thing. And just before you judge him, I think you and I do the same thing. We slip into it so easily, don't we? Oh God, you don't know how I've suffered. My favorite, my favorite hobby horse is when people say, oh, you deserve, you know that word? Colette and I have confessed it many times. We love to watch those house programs where they build stuff on TV, you know. And then when they surprise someone with a brand new house or the neighbor across the road redoes their room in 50 seconds or whatever the, the, the program is, you know, then the next thing is, well, you're such a good person in the community. You deserve to have a good house. I'm like, really? So being kind to people equals good house? Is that how it works? And that's how we relate to God. We think, oh, God, if I've been praying regularly, then I deserve to have your you you be pleased with me. If I read my Bible, you know, if I've made it through Leviticus in five minutes, God, then you surely have to be happy with me. It slips into our Christianity as well. And so, Dwayne, you can give us that next slide. So I'm so grateful for the way that God works in our lives because this young monk, uh, Luther, over a period of, uh, I, I forget the mass of it, but it's around uh, 10 or 12 years. He, he, he qualifies, he becomes a, a Bible school teacher, he lectures, he becomes a professor in the university, he teaches through Romans, he teaches through Galatians, he gets to grips with the scriptures, and yet still he cannot find peace in his soul. He is still trying to earn his way into God's good graces. And I would suggest to you that the modern day Christian runs the same risk and so he goes to his superior, Johann von Stolpitz, and uh, he says to him, this is how I'm feeling. And Stolpitz points Luther's mind away from continual reflection upon his own sins towards the merits of Christ. He asks Martin, what is it that you seek? And Luther says, I seek a merciful God, a God whom I can love and a God who loves me. Stolpitz then says, look to Christ, bind yourself to Christ and you will know God's love. Say to him, I am yours. Save me. Just as an aside, can I just say that that might be the most helpful words? Um, we are saved once. We'll talk about that. But we are also saved in our circumstances, not in terms of eternal life. If you go to the beach, if you go to Margate for Christmas, and you get caught by a current in the water, and you start to bob up and down, and the life God comes out, to the, out into the waves and grabs you. What is he doing? He's saving you from your circumstance. Doesn't mean you're a Christian or not. And so we're born again once. But man, when we are overwhelmed, it's so helpful to say, oh God, I'm yours. Save me. And this man, this one of the, the proponents of the Reformation, I mean, he developed this relationship where he thought God was this harsh, horrible judge. And he was taught in the monastery somehow, he was taught to look to Jesus and say, God, I'm yours. Save me. And uh, <clears throat> in times of darkness, when I cannot see the Lord and when situations seem so bleak, I know one thing by faith. I am the Lord's and he 
wills that I be saved through Christ alone. I know nothing else, nothing else when all is lost will bring me the comfort of knowing that I am the Lord's and that He is saving me. And so let's have a look at uh, the next slide, Dwayne. So uh, you recognize this picture? Anyone recognize this setting? Maybe you've been there. Anyone recognize the picture? On the left-hand side, Niagara Falls. Yes, and uh, now it's time for my two handsome assistants. Come and join me quickly. You can give these guys a round of applause. Don't they look good? <laughs> Trying to be all calm and cool. And, and uh, so these are the guys that are, are helping me. Timmy, you can take your position. This is Timothy Ugutu, and his father says he doesn't do this much at home. But he's going to demonstrate this morning whether or not he can drive a wheelbarrow. Do you think he can do it? Do you think so? Who thinks he can? I mean, his father was a bit doubtful because of current experience. So, Timmy, see if you can get to the back of the building and then come back again. Let's see. Do you think he can make it? Do you think he can make it? Do you think he'll get all the way and come back? Check out that. Ah, oh, he's learned. He's had a practice in the first meeting. You can see how she's turning on a ticky. Come on, Tim. You can do it. All right. So do you think he can do it again? Do you, do you believe he can? All right. Do you think he can carry a, a passenger? Do you think so? All right. Passenger, jump in. Let's see if we can do the same thing. Do you think he can do it? All right. Let's see. Let's see. Now, this is Tim's opportunity to get his own back for tie all those things that he did to him, hey? He must admit the jeans, I mean, hey, he's looking very relaxed there. All right, so you have seen Tim manage to drive the, the, the wheelbarrow, right? You believed he could do it, and he did it. You believed that he could carry a passenger, and he did it. Right, now I'd like some volunteers. <laughs> All right, you guys can catch a seat. Just stay close. Just sit in the front row. Just stay close because there's more to come. So uh, here's the 150-year-old saga. 150 years ago, a man named Charles Blondin came to the United States from France, and uh, he was fascinated with the Niagara Falls. And because he was an acrobat and a bit of an entertainer, he uh, announced that he was going to cross from one side, so from Canada to America, on a tightrope. 350 meters long, 150, uh, sorry, 50 meters from the surface of the water. And uh, so he was a showman, and he put adverts in the newspapers. He made a big fuss. He, he guaranteed that there would be death-defying uh, entertainment, and people could come and watch. Now, remember, this was the day before CGI. There were maybe, I don't even think silent movies were a thing yet. And so, I mean, this was the peak of entertainment, watching a man plummet to death from a rope across the Niagara Falls. So 300 meters from one side to another. A crowd of 100,000 people turned up to watch him walk the tightrope across the Niagara Falls, inch by inch and step by step. Can you imagine the drama of the moment? Will you put yourself on the Canadian banks with this crowd and uh, imagine what was going to happen? This is life or death. He had no safety net, and he crossed all the way over on his first attempt. 
Now, obviously, because otherwise it would have also been his last attempt, right? <laughs> uh, many people, of course, were taking pictures of him, so he went and got one of those cameras. Now, he didn't just take out his cell phone. You know those tripod cameras with the thing that goes over your head and the, the yeah? So he went back out onto the, onto the tightrope with one of those cameras, and he took a picture of the crowd taking pictures of him. He went out another time and he took a chair with him and he put it on the rope and uh, he balanced on the chair and then he went and stood on the chair and the crowd ooed and ah. He made himself an omelet and they tell us that he even then lowered the omelet the 50 meters down to the spectators in the boat below him floating across the river. Uh, you can give us that next slide there, Dwayne. So this is modern day. This is now back 150 years ago. And uh, so he, he fed the people in the boat below him, and then he returned, Dwayne, thanks, with one of these. And the crowd was so nervous, wondering whether he could make it across the tightrope on, with the wheelbarrow. And he said to them, so he went across and he came back, and he turned to the crowd and he said, do you believe I can do this again? And of course, the crowd roared, saying, yes, of course you can do it. We've just seen you do it once. Surely you can do it again. And so he went across the, went across the rope with the wheelbarrow, and they came back. And he came back, and, and uh, he said, do you believe I can do it? And they all shouted that they believed. And then he asked them, now, can I have a volunteer? Who will get into the wheelbarrow? Now it got Really quiet. You imagine a hundred thousand people on the banks of that river, of that waterfall, with only the roar of the waters. If you've ever stood on the side of the Zambezi, anyone stood on the side of the Zambezi? It is, I don't use this word often, it is an awesome thing to see that amount of water flowing just on our way to Mozambique. You stand on the side of the Niagara Falls, the, the amount of water flowing over the edge is a physical thing. You can imagine silence plus the roar of the water. The crowd got very quiet. Except for a man who raised his voice, a man named Harry Colcord, who knew Blondin. He'd worked with him before. He got into the wheelbarrow, inch by inch, step by step. Can you imagine the ride in a wheelbarrow on a tightrope, 350 meters crossing the Niagara Falls? They made it to the other side. <laughs> Harry jumped out, relieved, I'm sure. Everyone applauded Charles Blondin, and everyone believed he could cross the tightrope with a wheelbarrow. But only one man trusted him enough to put his life in Blondin's hands. This morning we're talking about sola fide, faith alone. You see, even you guys believed that Timmy could make it with the wheelbarrow from there to there. The crowd believed. They saw him do it so many times with all sorts of weird, more and more weird uh, entrapments. They, of course, believed. I mean, he did it blindfolded. He's, there's a picture of him doing a handstand on the tightrope. They were pretty sure he could do that. They believed, but they wouldn't entrust themselves to him. So let's have a look at some definitions that will help us to understand sola fide. 
give us that next one there, Dwayne. Uh, so Philip Yancey says, I've learned that faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. At no stage is it in doubt, <laughs> but it only makes sense in reverse. Thanks, Dwayne. So let's have a look at these two, uh, at these definitions. So first of all, we speak about the word justification. The word justification. Now, justification is a technical word. It means the act of making someone, the lawyers told you, you had to bring your certificates to prove that you were the person that you said you were. And you go there, they tick, all the, they tick the lists, and they say, yes, indeed. Technically, you have fulfilled the requirements. You are right. Justification is a technical word. Righteousness is a relational word. So because righteousness talks about being brought into a right relationship with God, a given a right standing by God to men. It's not just a quality that my sins aren't being held against me, but it's a, it's a relational word. It's a word that means that I'm now right before God because of a relationship. Uh, faith, on the other hand, Dwayne, Faith, on the other hand, according to the dictionary, because some, some, sometimes if you've read your Bible a little bit, you say, well, what's faith? And you go to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and people say, well, quote, well, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Have you read that before? Some of us quoted it. Now, I have to say, I've read the Bible for a few years, and I've done a little bit of study, but I still struggle to let, get to grips with, with that, what that means. I, I know it means that I, uh, the thing that I'm trusting for is, is as good as God. I get that. But in terms of how do I re respond to God is a little more tricky. Faith, according to the dictionary, is a confidence or a trust in a person or a thing. I love the next one. It speaks of loyalty, dependence, and being able to rely on. You know, in the Old Testament, I just find it in my notes, in the Old Testament, one of the, the Hebrew root words that give us our word for faith is the word um, that speaks of safety and security. Don't you love this thing that, that locked up in our English word of faith is the meaning of safety and security. And so often you and I think, man, if I just have enough faith, if I can trust God enough, the heavens will open and miracles will happen. But faith is the confidence or a trust in a person uh, or a thing. It's a loyalty or a dependence. It's being able to rely on. So there were 100,000 people on the side of the Niagara Falls. 900,900. I forget how many 900s I need to say. And 99. And there was only one. They all believed that he could do it. But there was only one who had faith. And what was the thing that made Harry Colcord different. He had a relationship with a man who was pushing the wheelbarrow. He was loyal. He had a confidence and a trust. He could rely on him. You know what, sadly, what happens very often, Ty, you grab the, this is your moment, dude. You can grab the uh, wheelbarrow and come position it here. You know, it's amazing. You can jump in. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine Who's the guy that had the, uh, the expertise with the pushing of the wheelbarrow? It was Harry Blondin, right? Our French man in the front row right here. 
Can you imagine if his mate had climbed in the wheelbarrow? How un- nonsensical would this be if Harry, out of fear that Charles would be able to pull it off, imagine if he, in the wheelbarrow, thought, man, I better do something about it. I better try and help this guy out a little bit. I mean, imagine if, if Ty was trying to get his foot out the side of the wheelbarrow, push on the rope just to help it go a little faster, or if he's got his hand at the back trying to hold on to the rope just in case, uh, uh, what's your name, Timmy slipped. You see, faith, we say faith alone is a trust, it's a confidence, it's a loyalty and dependence on the one who says they can do it is able to do it. That Jesus' death on the cross is all I need to be born again. It seems so ridiculous when we think of this poor guy. I mean, look at him. Like, it's not the most easy thing. I mean, if I was, I mean, you wouldn't get me on a tightrope anywhere. But if I was on a tightrope, I definitely wouldn't be on my back casually hoping that it would be all right. And how often do you and I, we say, Jesus, we trust you. I put my faith in you. I'm born again, Lord. And I walk in faith with you, Jesus. But my hand's on that rope just in case. Try and push it along. I mean, it's like climbing into a Ferrari and then, you know, one foot out the door just in case it's not going to make it around the corner. doesn't make sense. Thanks, dude. Well done, Ty. So now remember the historical context. The church had taken the scriptures away from the, the uh, from Christians. They had put heavy-handed laws and rules and structures onto uh, believers. And uh, as we get to the 1500s, as I spoke about two weeks ago, we see finally the Bible comes back to the believers. And as uh, Martin Luther is reading the scriptures, uh, let me just... Catch up with myself for a moment. Luther understood quite correctly that the only way that Christ's merits become ours is when we stop trying to earn favor with God and simply trust God's promises. Christ's saving benefits become mine only when I stop looking within or stop looking in places other than where Christ is revealed. All God asks of me is to stop trying to save myself and then through faith in His promise to save me to trust that Jesus' life and death are indeed sufficient to save me from my sins. So you can turn with me to the book of Romans. We read from Romans chapter 1. Romans is early on in the New Testament after the Gospels. Uh, You're more than welcome to have a look in your uh, index or if you've got a Bible app on your phone, just jump there. That's great. So remember that the institutional church, the context of the day, was that people had no personal access to the Scriptures. They were being told that to get free of their sins, they needed to pay for indulgences, to pay for forgiveness, which the church would then give you. And um, it's into this context that Luther, finding it so hard to work his way into security, remember that Hebrew word, in God, and a sense of forgiveness of his sins, And then he reads the scriptures and he begins to see them in a new light. He reads the scriptures in Greek. And the Bible says, and it's said of him, that it's as though the mud and the dust began to be cleared from a beautiful painting. And he saw the scriptures in truth. So let's have a a look at Romans chapter 1. We'll read from verse 11. Paul writing says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. 
That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unawares, brothers and sisters, that I plan to come to you many times, but that I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. Verse 14 says, I am obligated both to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish, to you who are in Rome. We heard already this morning, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, and when we get to Romans chapter 117, this is the key verse that opened Luther's eyes. It says, for in the gospel, the righteousness, remember we said that's a relational term, the righteousness of God is revealed. In other words, made clear that which was clouded. A righteousness, Paul goes on, by faith. Remember the context he's speaking into. As opposed to works, as opposed to human effort, as opposed to religious ritual, as opposed to church approval. He says, it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And that's important, live by faith. Not a, just a once-off, Jesus, I have faith in you, I'm born again. But a living by faith, not a fear that we'll lose our salvation, but a salvation uh, uh, once and for all, and then a life that emanates out of faith. Uh, a, 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 a faith that can change the way I live, not just powerful religion. And so, as I've said, they were com campaigning against any other paraphernalia being added to the fact that I'm saved only by putting my faith in Jesus Christ. Now today, we can slide into that same position as well, can't we? It's very easy. We start thinking, man, Jesus... The way you relate to me depends on the way I relate to you. When we come to sola fide, faith alone, the, the, the faith that we have in God is due only to his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and his offer of salvation to me. When I say I have faith in God, it's like I'm getting into the wheelbarrow and saying, Jesus, I don't need to hold on to that rope to try and get me through this life. I entrust myself depending on you to get me through. You've done it all that I need. That is the faith that we speak about this morning. Um, so faith, not works. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Mike Cowie was very kind. He messaged me last night. He's tracking along with the, um, with the series and he said, uh, so is it by faith? Uh, what did you say? Uh, yeah, so he said, oh, so are we doing it by faith alone tomorrow. And I said, always. And then I apologized and I said, yes, you're right. We are sola fide. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, that we live by faith. Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because the work, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I'll read Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 4, 4 says, Now to the one who works... Wages are credited as a uh, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. 
However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to, uh, to them as righteousness. Now, all of you guys in, in, in the room who work for a job or who work a job, are you expecting a salary kind of any day now? I mean, end of the month? You've already been, you're already on the next month waiting. Okay. So if you work for a whole month at your job, you would expect to earn some wages. When it's payday, does HR or your boss or your team leader, whoever it is, do they come to you with a bow and say, I'd just like to give you this gift just out of the goodness of my heart? I'd just like to present you with this, with this envelope. It's got a little card in thanking you for being such a nice person. And I just want to spoil you and give you your salary. You would look at them funny, wouldn't you? You say, I've worked hard every day of this month, I hope. And uh, you would expect, in fact, Jesus says the, 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 the worker is worthy of his hire. And equally, if you didn't turn up to work for a month, would you expect your salary to come? <laughs> yeah? In fact, I'd love to find a job where I didn't have to go to and I still got paid. Wouldn't that be nice? And the point is this, that, that uh, we, we've just said we cannot add any works or effort to our being saved but equally, the point is that if I have worked the whole month and then my boss withholds my salary from me, doesn't pay me for what I've done, then what? He is in debt to me. He owes me something, does, or she. Correct? Yeah? In fact, if they insist on not paying me, I can go to the cops and say, hold on, I've fulfilled my side of the bargain. Now you are legally obliged. Here's my contract. You are legally obliged to perform the same to me, correct? So the point is, if we say we are saved by faith alone, sola fide, if we can add works, something that I have done, a performance that I have offered to God, then I turn God into my debtor. God, I've done all this stuff. Now you're, you need to perform on my behalf and save me. It's a dangerous place to be because it's true. Sometimes we, when we're praying, oh God, I've had this problem for a long time. Do you know all the good things I've done? I deserve, remember that word? I deserve you to answer my prayers. I, I, I'll just be straight honest. Sometimes I pray to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, if I was God, this makes perfect sense. And I say it like that because I know I'm not God, clearly. And I let there be some room for him to have his way and not pretend like I know his way. Yeah, You understand, if it were possible that I could take faith and add my efforts to it, then God would become my debtor. He would owe me salvation. And my salvation would, re would rest on my performance. You see, because next month if I work two weeks out of the month and I don't take leave, then technically my boss would only owe me half a month's salary. What happens if I didn't turn up at all? He could pay me nothing. And so you understand then, in that transactional relationship, then my, my boss's uh, performance is dependent on what I've done. We slide into that so subtly. Oh God, I paid my taxes and my tithe all in the same month. I love my neighbor. When my boss used terrible language, I averted my eyes and I prayed quietly under my breath. I didn't speed on the freeway. When that movie came on that I shouldn't watch, I switched it off. God, aren't you impressed? I've put my hours in. Put my hours in. Now I'm expecting 
something in an envelope to come my way. And now that might be good when we are performing well, when we are fancy pants and glowing in the dark for Jesus. We might be okay then, but what happens when I'm not? What happens when I do raise my voice at my wife? What happens when I'm late for work and I get there faster than I should? What happens when there is temptation and I give in to the temptation before I come to myself and ask the Lord to forgive me? Then all of a sudden I realize, God, I don't deserve your forgiveness and your salvation. My security, my safety, the Hebrews tells us, in Christ. What a shocking place to be. I get in that wheelbarrow and I sit on that rope and I say to Blondin, let go, I've got this. Sola Fide says, faith in Christ means believing that He's God and that His work on the cross brings me into right relationship with Jesus. There's no KPIs. <laughs> Isn't that cool? There's no key performance in, uh, uh, markers. Uh, what's it? Indicators, thank you. Yeah? There's, there's no, you know, those, those annual uh, uh, budget, uh, what do you call the Bonus reviews. Have you done assessments? Thank you. My goodness, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves. <laughs> you see, because if you've got to do it for yourself, you've got to keep doing it for yourself. It's a gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. Verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that God has prepared for us in advance to do. Isn't it amazing that even the good things that God wants us to do, He's already prepared for us to do in advance. <laughs> so even when it turns out that I do get something right, I can't say, hey, by the way, Lord, did you notice? Because <laughs> He says, yeah, I put that all out for you to do anyway. The point is that we are not able to boast in our accomplishments and so try and force God to keep His side of the bargain. So we've said faith alone. We said faith without works. We said faith without any additions. But what about works? I want to say that we say faith alone, but faith isn't lonely. Dwayne, you can give us that next slide. You see, faith alone is not a lonely faith. Faith alone is not a lonely faith. Have a look with me in James, right towards the end of the scriptures of the New Testament. Between Hebrews and, and 1 Peter, we have this great book that is written by James, written by a Hebrew man to a Hebrew audience. And uh, we'll read from verse 17. James chapter 2, verse 17. It says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did? And when he offered his son Isaac on the altar... You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, relationship. And he was called God's friend. Again, relationship. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. I was reading one of the, um, uh, the Bible scholars, and he says it's almost as though Paul and James are set up in opposite, in contention with each other. My mind goes back to the playground at school. You can check two guys are kind of giving each other the eye, and the boys around gather at break behind the bicycle sheds or on the rugby field, and they start saying, fight, 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 fight. It's like this man says there's great, uh, faith alone, no works, and the other guy says faith plus works. What are we talking about? I want to say faith alone is what we believe in, but faith alone is not a lonely faith. You see, faith without works, in other words, acts or performances or deeds that I have to do, is what saves us. We see here that, the, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The goal of salvation is activity, deeds, not the entry point to salvation. These are so important foundational beliefs. You see, I'm not saved because I did some stuff. But I do some stuff because I'm saved. You see, I'm not saved from good works. I'm saved for good works. So let's go back to that last little verse at the end of James chapter 2. Verse 26, it tells us, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now that word for spirit is the Greek word pneuma. It's the word where we get pneumatic from, anything to do with air. It's also a word we can use for breath. So let's just think it through for a moment. As a body without breath. So a body that's not breathing is what? Dead. It's a corpse, which is the exact word that the, that the Greek uses there. A body without the spirit, without breathing, without aspiration, is dead. So too, faith without works is equally dead. Now, you see, there's nothing, the, the body is the body, but it's not, there's no movement. And so faith uh, works doesn't give us the body, it gives us the activity, the action from. So Paul and James do actually agree that faith is what saves us and deeds are the evidence of what faith in Jesus produces in us. Can I ask you, as strong as I know how, when you go to work again, for goodness sakes, don't just be a Christian that put his faith in Jesus and is born again. He's escaping hell one day. But in the meantime, there is zero breath in the body. Hmm. I found on Google a little cartoon. This guy who's a head of harp. And he said, I figured out the salvation part, but I didn't figure out how not to be a jerk part. Too many Christians haven't figured out the so what of faith. But we're stuck in the, is my faith strong enough to keep me to the end? Is the pusher of the wheelbarrow reliable? We worry about that. Rather, we should say, because I have a reliable Savior, let the breath work this body into action. Dave Ramsey, who 
teaches the Financial Peace University that we did uh, earlier this year. He says, <laughs> if you haven't got money, don't listen to financial advice from your broke brother-in-law. When you're sitting around the bra or the, 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 the Christmas table and you're saving and not going into debt and everyone else is broke around the table and they're all telling you, don't worry, just go get a loan. Don't listen to them. Find a rich guy <laughs> and listen to his advice or her advice about money, correct? And here's the same thing. <laughs> when it comes to exercising our faith, we need to move on from the fact that can Jesus save me? Yes, he can. And the evidence of what he's done in me is called work. So faith alone is not a lonely faith. The two go together. Uh, give us that next slide, please, Dwayne. And then you can get ready with a video, please. So faith is accompanied by actions so that people can see that God has worked in me. Now, when I tried to give an illustration to this, this is the best one I could come up with. Uh, that word is accompanied. And uh, so you can give us, play that video if you will. This guy is called the Boogie Woogie Man. You can find him on YouTube. He's just in a, a train station and they've got these public pianos. She's quite good, isn't she? about faith accompanied by actions. Yeah. I can't play the piano well, but I can play the piano and do my phone at the same time. Watch here, here's the big finish. Give us some volume, Hilton. Saved by faith. Gift from God. Because I have faith, I do some works. There's another, uh, there's thousands of these videos, I think. And uh, there's another one where he says, just, can you do one finger? And goes, just go bling, 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 bling. And then he plays behind. So here's my point, folks. What is faith? Faith is believing in the character of the person that I'm putting my faith in. When it comes to saving faith, it's the belief that everything Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to save me once and for all. And I entrust my whole future. I risk the tightrope to the one who paid that price. Actions are born out of that. But as I am accompanied by the Holy Spirit, so here I am, plink, 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 I'm saved. I haven't got much to offer you, Jesus. Plink, 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 plink. Just do my little bit. The breath comes and goes as a response to faith. Plink, 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 plink. I wake up in the morning and I love my family. 
And I drive to work at the right speed. And I honor my boss. Plink, plink, plink. Plink, plink, plink. I pray for my enemies. Plink, plink, plink. Plink, plink, plink. And I trust Jesus with every day of my future and my eternal salvation. Plink, plink, plink. The Holy Spirit comes in alongside me and says, come on, pick up the beat. And all of a sudden, he starts to fill in the gaps. And this amazing melody, if you watch these videos, you start to see straight around. And there's a crowd that develops almost every time. There's a picture of a professional musician going like anything on that piano. And the same guy still walks up and adds in. And even the fancy guy sounds so much better. Plink, 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 accompanied by the Holy Spirit. Here we go. There's a beautiful melody. Am I safe? Is my eternal salvation secure in Jesus? Yes. Because of that, I'm able to do some things that he has prepared in advance, Ephesians tells me, for me to go that when I do my plinking, 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 the beautiful melody comes from my life as the Holy Spirit accompanies me in my service of Jesus. In the person of his son, God offers the complete forgiveness of all of our sins and the perfect righteousness which can withstand his holy gaze on the day of judgment. And this free gift, accepted with empty hands of faith, which is a humble but hearty trust in the promises of an all-powerful and gracious God to save even me. When you feel far from God, stop it, said, say to him, Lord, I'm yours. Save me, Jesus. I pray this morning that each one of us would know as I plink, plink, plink the accompaniment of the Holy Spirit that shows that I am alive on the inside. That because of what you did, Jesus, on the cross, I'm destined for eternal life. Father, I pray this morning that our righteousness would become a relational word. That our reliance on you would not be works-based, but it wouldn't be lonely. It would be accompanied by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. There's some refreshments in the courtyard.